Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. This is actually my third attempt to record the podcast, so I'm going to run out of coffee before I'm done talking to you guys. Today is Tuesday, April 7th, uh, the day after my nephew Henry's birthday. Happy birthday, Henry. Uh, Yesterday was Henry's 18th birthday. And not only did I forget to give him a shout-out on the podcast, I forgot to text him happy birthday all day long. I kept thinking that I needed to text him, wish him happy birthday, and find out what he wants. And I kept forgetting, and I would, like, be in the kitchen and think, I need to do that. And then I would get back to my phone, and I would forget. (laughs) So I suck as an aunt, Henry. You probably already knew that. Uh, Alas. Um, Henry is also the one who should be, well, he is graduating high school this spring, but won't get a graduation party or prom or any of those things. And we all feel for you, Henry. It really sucks. So, um, I've tried to do the live Instagram thing this morning. That was my first attempt. And I actually did it. I actually had it handled. Um, I was not freaking out. I had it set up on the tripod. I was trying not to look at it. I was able to talk coherently and be on video. And But then the lovely Leslie Penelope popped up on there and commented, and thank you, Leslie. She said, not trying to distract. (laughs) She listens to the podcast and knows that I'll freak out. Um, But she said the sound wasn't working. So apparently, maybe I can't use the microphone with the Instagram Live. I was trying to do it so I could record both, you know, use voice recorder and the Instagram Live um, at the same time. I was trying to do them concurrently, but maybe one overrides the other. So if you guys have ideas for how I can resolve this tech issue, do let me know. Um, it It could be that it just won't work. And then... I gave up on that and tried just recording, and for some reason the voice recorder just all of a sudden stopped, which was irritating. So third time's a charm, right? One would hope. Uh, Today is also the release day for Dorinda Jones' new book, brand new series, brand new world, and so forth, Uh, A Bad Day for Sunshine. And happy release day, Dorinda, darling. I was with Dorinda when she first pitched this idea to her agent. It was when we were um, being roomies at RWA for that very long week where we were both working on things. And one of the things she was working on was this book. And it's kind of cool to look at it and see that like some of the plot points we brainstormed made it into the book. It's... I guess I'm used to it from my own perspective, but it's pretty cool to see it from another one where, you know, to see another author go from the glimmer of an idea all the way through to this beautiful hardbound book. And St. Martin's sent me a copy, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, so... She uh, has her signature humor. Not paranormal this time. It's uh, more of a, what are they calling it? (laughs) Dorinda is one of those who defies genre and does it successfully. They created kind of paranormal mystery for her 
um, in for her Charlie Davidson books. She did 13 of those. And now this is a whole new thing for her, a departure. And I am looking to see if they say genre on here. Maybe it's in the, on the copyright page. I think it's just mystery. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. So, anyway. Um... Not a great time to be having a release, but I think that um, this is a conversation that Grace and I had the other day. We mentioned that we had a very long conversation, but I had seen um, Beth Meacham, who is an executive editor for Tor, posting to Facebook about how bad um, the pandemic is for publishing and one of her premises was she began with print books and said, well, because, you know, the cost of paper and warehouses, and, and actually I didn't read through the whole thing because I disagreed with her fundamental premise that because they can't have events in bookstores with um, crowds and book releases that way that this is a sign of doom for the industry. And it's really interesting because traditional publishing is still so excruciatingly focused on print books that they feel like if they can't sell print books, then this is the end times, at least for publishing. And it's a strange thing because Certainly for me, and for whatever reason, maybe this is true for everybody. I mean, when I mention it, people nod and agree. But, you know, I sell way more ebooks than I sell print books. Way more. Um, like on my 12 Kingdoms and Uncharted Realms, even through Kensington, I sell, I, I could, I should check what the metric is. Um, 10 or 20 times at least as much um, in digital as I do in print. And personally, I read in digital more than I read in print. And I think it's so interesting because traditional publishing, you know, something I've talked about often is that they use book scan to determine an author's rank and sales record. And BookScan only tracks print books. I swear to God, people often believe, don't believe me when I say this, but it's true. They do not track ebook sales. And one of the justifications I've heard for this relentless focus on print is that the margin, the profit margin for print books is much higher for a press than it is for a digital book, which I understand. Okay, you know, we like bigger profit margins, but... Isn't it better to have some profit than none at all? I saw that uh, one author who had a very successful book last year, nominated for awards, the sequel was supposed to come out right around now, and they decided to push back the release date because of the pandemic. And I thought, you know, all of these readers are so hungry for that sequel, they will buy it in digital but the publisher doesn't want them to buy it in digital. They want them to buy it in paper. So they're making the decision to not have any sales right now rather than have sales at a lower profit margin. And it's a very deliberate business choice. 
I imagine it's akin to um, the people with retail spaces. We've seen this happen over and over where they would rather leave the space empty than rent it for lower than they want. And it's this whole idea of that you, you know, have to maintain the price point. <clears throat> I think the upshot with traditional publishing is, is that they have backed themselves into this corner where it, it's, um, it's a catch-22, right? You know, they put all of the emphasis on print sales. And because all of the emphasis is on print sales, if they can't have print sales, then they feel like their business is over, even though they have robust digital book sales. You know, right now, I've been seeing people all over the internet saying, you know, I've run out of books. I've read all of the ones by this author. Who else is like this? And I say it because people tag me, which is great. I appreciate that. You know, and saying, oh, well, have you read Jeffy Kennedy's series? And the people are like, I haven't. This is a new to me author. And that person is going to sit there and buy book after book after book on their Kindle. And thank you. Thank you, guys. That's, that's awesome. And I hope you enjoy it, knowing that um, these books are an escape during this difficult time means everything. So anyway, I hope you all buy A Bad Day for Sunshine in digital. And then you can always get the paper later. It's, uh, it's a really cool cover with the, the sunglasses and foil and the, the one shattered. And there's like the little coyote in the background. It's very New Mexico. I can vouch that her uh, fictional town of Del Sol, New Mexico, is entirely fictional. She has it being half an hour from Santa Fe. Um, and I know which towns she kind of based it on. But it is, it's not a real place. That was something else we talked about. She kept trying to find a, a real place to base it on and ultimately settled on that it's it's easier to fictionalize. It really is than try to be true to any particular place. So um, yesterday I did start revising on Promised Queen. I made it to about 75 pages, and I was happy to find that it is solid. I didn't even need to alter or layer in as much as I thought I needed to. So that's a pleasant surprise. So I should be done um, revising this week. We'll see if I keep going at the same speed. It it did um, did tire me out some. Did have some impact, but yeah, I th I feel like it's going pretty well, and I've got ideas for the ending. I've been reading the ending of Fiery Crown and kind of um, just mulling, just letting those threads come together. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on today. That and a little bit of Southwest stuff. We've been working on the Nebula Showcase anthologies, getting those put together. Also had a call on some future publications projects, so that's good. And we have an ops call today. So we'll do all of those things. And I went back to... Because I'd been so involved in the Goblin Emperor, I had been reading that to the exclusion of all else. So then last night, once I was done working, I sat down with um, 
Jennifer Ely's reading of Pride and Prejudice again and start catching up. I also had to help David with filing for unemployment. Apparently, they're making provisions for people, um, workers from the gig economy like Uber, to file for unemployment this time. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. He hasn't been driving since, well, for months now, almost March 10th. So that would be good to get that in place. And I've been expecting some royalty money to come in, but that often takes a little while, like a week after the beginning of the month. So we'll see. It was interesting. I get my Harlequin money via direct deposit, and that came to me, and I saw that there was a huge jump in the um, my erotic novels, the, the Falling Under series, going under under his touch and under contract. Uh, sales had really jumped, and I looked at the detail to see why, and it was under um, the French anthology. And I knew that there had been French translations of those books. I have copies of the French translations because I always knew I'd do well in France. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines. I know I've said it before, but it makes me laugh every time, people. Uh, so apparently they must have put them together into some sort of anthology. Who knows? This is one of the uh, irritating things about Harlequin is they don't ever tell you anything. They just, they're like, your books are uh, these puzzle pieces that they just move into whatever formation they want. But, you know, I guess at least they send us money. <coughs> David and I watched Cadillac Records last night, which we had never seen before, and I recommend. It was very interesting. We didn't quite finish, but because um, we started late. It's about Muddy Waters and some of the other musicians at that time. Uh, what's really funny is in the movie they keep referring to it as race music. Race music. I hadn't heard that before, so I don't know if that is a euphemism for what they really called it, or if they really called it race music. Uh, God, you know, how times have changed, huh? <laughs> but one of the interesting things, it'll be good to see how it um, finally completes itself at the by the end of the movie, but there's an uncomfortable sequence through the middle where uh, the it, it's actually chess music is the uh, music company that's I, I keep wanting to say publishing them uh, recording them and Adrian Brody is doing a good job of playing this guy but he uh, <laughs> has this habit of buying really nice cars uh, Cadillacs for Muddy Waters and some of these other guys. He gives them, you know, and he'll say, you like this car? It's yours. And hands them the keys and all this, um, which is dazzling and exciting. But then it turns out he's like not actually paying them regularly. Muddy Waters is at one point asking him, saying, you know, I need to pay child support and I need to pay the mortgage. And, and Adrian's like, well, you know, the, your records aren't selling, but, you know, here's some money. So there's, it's very clear that there's not any real accountability. 
And I suppose this is the age-old thing where the middlemen uh, take the art produced by the creators and sort of give them the dribs and drabs of money and the occasional dazzling gift. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how it's going to play out. That, uh, and I and I know some of the history there that probably these record companies were not paying the artists what they were supposed to. Shockingly enough. But in some ways, you know, like with Harlequin, I wouldn't even know that they have these, this French anthology. And, you know, so until they send me money for it, and it's like, well, they could be selling all kinds of things and not telling me about it. And you do have the right to go in and ask for a um, a review, an audit. <laughs> I wanted to say autopsy, which is probably not far off. <laughs> but, you know, that's a, a pretty big deal to ask for an audit. You'd have to have pretty good reason to do it, and uh, you'd have to fight for it and all of that. So there's a lot of trust involved, and whether or not that trust is justified can be a bit of a... I don't know, a leap of faith, right? So, I'm going to get to work today. Uh, who knows if we'll ever get the Instagram Live thing to work. But if you guys have ideas, let me know. And I'll remind you that First Cup of Coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network. You can find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all on Thursday. You all take care. Bye-bye.